It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Quickly to wall. Wall measures. Deal. Gets open for three. What's up, guys? This is Noah Getzel here with another edition of the Locked On Wizards podcast. Today, our podcast is all one long conversation with Sean Woodley, the host of Locked On Raptors. I talked to him before the series kicked off. He is feeling pretty confident, of course, with this team up 2-0. We talked about a bunch of different topics, including the potential addition of Mike Scott into the starting lineup to replace Gortat, which Wizards 5 would perform the best, and that's kind of tough to tell given all their inconsistency. And, you know, just some other stuff regarding what the Wizards need to do to get back into the series. So, um, Game 3 is Friday night here at Capital One Arena. This is the interview with Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors. Enjoy, everyone. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, it's Sean Woodley from Locked On Raptors. What's going on? This is Noah Getzel, Locked On Wizards host. We are uh, meeting up for a, a, a week apart. Uh, lots of two games in between our last uh, conversation. Uh, I'm assuming our like outlooks on the series have kind of adjusted since then. I'll maybe I'll, I was pretty confident last week, so maybe mine hasn't, <laughs> but I'm sure yours has. Um, so yeah, we're just gonna kind of dive in here with the lockdown crossover, talking about Raptors Wizards and previewing Game Three, kind of looking back on what ha- what's happened so far. Uh, Noah. How has your, like, mindset changed since we last spoke a week ago? Well, you said the Raptors would win in five, which mm-hmm. they still can. And yeah. I said the Wizards would win in seven. And, I mean, it's less likely for sure, but the Wizards <laughs> do have three of the next potential five games at home. So the mm-hmm. Wizards haven't been great at home all year, but it's obviously a boost because just because the fans in Toronto are so amazing and you don't have uh, Drake heckling everybody <laughs> after a big play that... I'm sure people got frustrated with that. Even though Kelly Oubre said he was cool with it, that Drake called him a bum. I would have liked to see, I don't know, it's kind of a difficult situation because you don't want to like accept defeat and be like, yeah, whatever, I wasn't playing well, we lost the game, Like he can say whatever. But you also don't want to be a distraction and you know, start talking about, okay, Drake is getting my head when you know it has <laughs> nothing to do with 
with that. So it's kind of a lose-lose situation. I'm, I'm not too happy right now. I'm happy with the way John Wall has been playing and Mike Scott. And other than that, <laughs> not too many other players have shaped it up consistently. Like uh, Markeith Morris, game one, he was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, 22 points, 11 boards, 6 assists. Game two, he shot it seven times, 6 points, uh, 4 rebounds, 1 assist. Yeah, so, and then we'll, we'll talk about this, but um, Marching Gortat might not even be a starter. He's combined for, oh, uh, I guess the first game he had 29 minutes. So that's that's a lot more than I expected, but game two, only 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the start of the game is really going to dictate things here in game three because uh, the Raptors are averaging 36 points in the first quarter, including that 40-point dominating effort um, in game two. My biggest concern is that the Wizards just didn't learn from their mistakes after game one. It was kind of a different ball game because you had uh, DeMar going off for 37 after he was, you know, a little bit more so held in check in, in the first game. What did he have? 20. Yeah, he had 17 points and yeah. shot poorly. But I think just the, the three-point line defense was pretty surprising to me because they allowed, what was it, 16 of 30 in the first game. So that's hitting 16 threes. And then in the first half alone of game two they allowed 11 so the wizards truly didn't learn their lesson a lot of guys were were no shows in game two especially you know all-star bradley beal who has played a ton of minutes over the course of the season but there's there's a lot of issues going on with this wizards team it starts with the construction of the roster and ends with you know certain players just not taking advantage of their minutes of course uh there was some foul trouble with with beal and wall but i just feel like there was one thing that I was pleasantly surprised by, and I'm sure it caught you off guard too, did you have any idea that Ty Lawson, coming straight out of China, would draw 14 <laughs> points and 8 assists? No. Um, I think that was about right. Yeah, 14 points, and he had 4 or 5 three-pointers. No, I certainly did not expect that. It was uh, it was pretty weird, <laughs> considering he didn't even play in Game 1. Um, I... I... I don't know. If I'm the Raptors, I'm probably okay with Ty Lawson coming in and, like, the Wizards having to depend on Ty Lawson for multiple games, if that's going to be a thing. But, yeah, no, like, shouts to him for coming in. I guess he's, like, trying to play to get himself back in the league, so there's lots of incentive for him. And, you know, he was great. You know, four or five from deep. I'm not sure we'll see that again, but it was uh, a huge boost for them. I don't know. I'm at this point now when I'm talking, looking at this series and kind of talking about what the next moves for the Wizards are going to be, and we're kind of we're going to get into that in a bit. But like, I'm just maybe it's just the two games have gotten to my head a little bit. But I just feel like the Raptors kind of have this in hand, and it, it just it feels like anything the Wizards are going to try to throw out next, the Raptors are going to have a counter for. And I think you know while the game on Monday was it Monday? I don't know. The days are all running together at this point. Monday night, yeah. Um, Tuesday. Tuesday. Was it Tuesday? Yeah, okay, it was Tuesday, that's right. Uh, again, days are nothing at this point because uh, it's the playoffs and it doesn't matter. It's just either a game day or it's not. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I just felt like even though the Raptors only won by 11 and they let it to get to within five in the fourth quarter, it just it felt like whenever the Raptors were trying, it wasn't a contest. Like, Lucas Noguera was a minus 19 in five minutes. So if you like do the math on that, they were a plus what, 30 in the other, you know, 43 minutes of the game. And I just think... All players were minus, actually, except for DeLon Wright was even. He was, uh, yeah. you know... And then, uh, yeah, plus 32 for Ibaka, plus 27 for Valanciunas, plus 27 for Lowry, plus 23 for DeRozan. That's that's ungodly numbers. I don't think he'll repeat that, but who knows. Yeah, the starters were outstanding, and they've been really good, I think, the last couple of weeks heading into the playoffs. And then now... 
like it's just that that lineup's really gone well together. And I was going back and watching a bit of DeRozan's game today, just kind of all of his possessions and. I don't know, it just felt like the Wizards kind of, they came into the series with a bit of a plan where they were going to try to trap Kyle and DeMar and get the ball to their hands, because that's been the book against the Raptors in past playoffs, and then it didn't work. Again, you mentioned the 16 threes, you know, that's maybe a bit higher than you'd expect, but also a lot of those looks were completely wide open because it was coming in four-on-three situations, and like those were looks that the Raptors were very happy to settle with. Um, and then in game two, it felt like the trapping kind of went away, particularly when it came to DeRozan. Most of his possessions, you know, either they were going under on him or, you know, the, there was just, or they were doing some ISO stuff and they weren't really inviting the, the traps or anything like that. But, you know, a lot of it was the Wizards having a tough time fighting through or under or over screens and DeMar getting a, a little bit of space and either pulling up for three or mid-range jumpers or, you know, a couple instances where he just found easy lanes to the basket. There was that dunk that he had, I think, in the fourth quarter where he kind of denied the screen from Jonas. You know, John Wall got, like, t- totally tripped up by DeMar's, like, fake left and then went right, and then DeMar just had a complete blow-by run to the rim, and, and just felt like there was no plan defensively from the Wizards the way there was early in the series, and, um, it, and you know, that leads to DeMar having 37 points on 28 used possessions. Like, that's just insane efficiency. So I feel like the Raptors have kind of shown both you know, if you're going to trap, they're going to be able to set guys up. Kyle and DeMar didn't have huge offensive games in game one, but they combined for 15 assists and the, the rest of the sort of supporting cast did the job. And, you know, when they didn't, weren't going to trap, DeMar's just going to go off because he's DeMar DeRozan and he's really good. And he's just kind of reached that level with his play. So, I don't know. What do you think the Wizards do next if in their defensive coverage? Like, do you see them changing things up? Do you see them getting more aggressive again? Like, what do you think is next for them? Well, one thing that will help is... Uh giving a few more minutes to Mike Scott if he's in the starting lineup just because it, it kind of you're a little bit restricted when you have more of an immobile big because the, the Raptors set a ton of screens so you have you know I saw a lot of the game Markeith Morris like happened to be mashed up on DeMar they just kept setting screens to utilize the best mismatch that they could find so mm-hmm. if you have someone who can move his feet a little bit better and then you know make you work more on defensive end when the Raptors are trying to guard Mike Scott I think that's that's got to be an advantage um and, you know, you might sacrifice a little bit of rim protection, but really, Gortat is not a rim protector, so I'm not too concerned there. Mike Scott uh, is a, a physical defensive player, as you saw the way he body-checked Kyle Lowry. I think <laughs> that that should help, hopefully. I don't know if he's actually going to start. It's just been floated around a little bit. Um, yeah, you, you just have to give Mike Scott some more minutes, even though he's only started one game. The NBA is going small. It's going to shooters. You know, everyone needs to be able to stretch the floor guard multiple positions and when you have uh, Gortat in the game even Mahimni in the game it's really tough to do that so I would like to see you know more more action for Mike Scott but I think there there are bigger issues at play and two huge ones are the guys making 20 plus million dollars a year Mm -hmm. Uh, Bradley Beal needs to play like an all-star and a lot of that has to do with you know he had some foul trouble he only ended up playing, I think, 25 minutes throughout the game, which is nothing for a guy who plays 40 all the time. Beal has got to be more aggressive, and it can't just be him expecting to hit shots the, the times that Wall finds him. I, I want to see better ball movement. And then Otto Porter, it's, it's really asking a lot because he's not the type of player who wants to go out and make plays for himself, but he's got to do a better job of you know stretching the floor and and running out in transition for fast break opportunities um, and layups, you know, crashing the offensive glass. He's great at that, getting those hustle plays. 
and just spotting up for open threes. He's one of the best shooters, but he's only attempted three threes in the series so far in two games. So I would love to see them get more involved offensively. Um, I can't really knock John Wall because he's averaging ridiculous numbers. Uh, I think, like, how many assists a game? 12 assists a game. But, you know, you just kind of get the sense that when he has the ball so much and when he's trying to force it a little bit, it it kind of puts the other players in a, in a bit of a tougher position where, you know, when you when you don't have the ball in your hands, you, you like, aren't as much a part of the offense. It, it kind of strangles you a little bit. So I'd like to see more ball movement. Um, I know the Wizards are capable, and they just need to play to their potential. And I think, obviously, the Raptors are the, one of the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. I'd say it's them and the Cavs, uh, even though the Cavs narrowly squeaked out their 100 to 97 <laughs> victory i feel like lebron scored 99 of those 100 points the other <laughs> night um yeah so so i think i don't know i just want to see once the wizards get one win then it'll all be downhill but it's kind of like it's kind of like in a game until you score once like everything's just a little bit tense and on ice and you can't really relax so they've had good stretches they've made good comebacks but yeah, I, I think you're right in a sense that when the Raptors knew they had to turn on the Jets and you know pull away, they haven't had any issues so far. What else have you been talking about this week in, in terms of you know how the, how the Raptors have have been able to just be so dominant? What what else have you seen aside from I guess uh, the ability to get three traps and, and find the open man and involve you know all of your three point shooters and bench players? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I think Dwayne Casey deserves a lot of credit for the kind of the, how he's turned all the cranks at the right times and put in the proper lineups when they when they've needed them. Like in crunch time, after the Wizards made that comeback, he had a lineup out there because the Wizards are going super small, I believe, with Scott at the five. Um, it might have been like Porter at the four, if I'm not mistaken, or Porter or Ubre, someone like that. They were going super small. Um, and uh, maybe it wasn't Porter because I think Lawson was out there instead of Porter. Either way, they were very small. The Raptors went with Ibaka at the five with DeLon Wright, C.J. Miles, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry. Tons of ball handling, tons of shooting, and then the rim protection that Surge provides, and I think that was kind of a trump card. And I think that's sort of just been the story of the series is that every lineup the Wizards throw out, the Raptors have something they can go to because they have so many guys on hand and so many different skill sets. They have something they can throw out there in a five-man lineup to kind of counter what the Wizards are doing. Like even if they, you know, if they go to the Morris Scott front court, which I think you know would make some sense considering how bad Gortat's been and how you know normally the reason you have Gortat in against the Raptors is because he owns Jonas Valanciunas, and that just hasn't happened. Jonas has had a really good series; he was excellent in Game Two. Um, and completely, you know, torch Gortat when he was in there for those 12 minutes. Um, you know, if they go to the Morris Scott front court, which I think on merit they should probably do, you know, I think the Raptors are kind of fine sticking with Ibaka Valanciunas in that situation because the rebounding advantage is so pronounced. And, you know, with the lack of rim protection you get with those two in there, Kyle and DeMar are free to sort of drive a little bit more often. Kyle, most of the season, kind of didn't drive very often. He was, you know, very much just a three-point shooter. Like, I think 67% of his shots were from three this season. Uh, there's been a little bit more in terms of attacking the basket when those smaller lineups are in there, and I think he's comfortable doing that. Um, and then DeMar has just kind of done whatever he wants and gotten word to the to the spots that he's wanted to go, especially in game two. And, you know, even if they go with the Morris Scott front court, you know, 
and say, for example, Scott stretches out Valanciunas to the point where he has to come off the floor, the Raptors can just throw a buck out of the five and say, you know, Miles or Siakam at the four. They can kind of play super big, medium, super small. They can kind of go all over the place and throw the action back at the Wizards. And, you know, we mentioned the the potential of Gortat getting benched and the starting five being more, the starting front court being Morris and Scott. Like, it hasn't been super successful so far, despite how good Scott's been. Um, 24 minutes together, Morris and Scott as a two-man lineup has a 94.4 offensive rating, a 103.5 defensive rating, minus 9.1 per 100 possessions, and a 43.5 rebound percentage, which is just not good enough. You're not rebounding at a high enough rate there to justify the, you know, you're not scoring at a high enough rate to justify the bad rebounding there. And then, you know, you'd say, oh, it's small sample, 24 minutes, but over the course of the full season... 150 minutes, they were minus 16.4 net rating with a 41.6 rebounding percentage. So I wonder how sustainable that'll be for more than just a couple minutes here and there to maybe catch the Raptors off guard. Because I think Casey, you know, like I mentioned off the top of this answer, like I think he's done a really good job of just deploying the right lineups at the right times and sort of just knocking down any sort of Wizards flourish with, uh, you know, his own sort of lineup of of its own that can kind of go on, on a run to counter whatever the Wizards are doing. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the depth is is a huge issue, and it's scary that you know every single player can come in and make a big impact. You don't really see guys having off games, even though like Fred Van Vliet, who you said is the bench player who will probably have the biggest impact. He did next to nothing in game two as he returned, and still it was largely not even a contest until the very end of the third quarter and a little bit in the fourth quarter. I wish that the Wizards could have that type of production off the bench, even though the bench players outscored the starters um, 63 to, I think, 50... I can't remember. It was like 59. I don't remember exactly. 57, maybe. Yeah, Yeah. whatever. But yeah, they outscored the starters. I would love to see uh, Sadoransky having a bigger impact because he hasn't really got his opportunity yet um, over the course of the regular season. In just 22 minutes game, he was averaging 7.2 points, almost four assists, uh, 3.2 rebounds, and shooting 46.5% from downtown. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just been a tough reintegration since Wall has come back. Um, it's been tough to find him minutes. It's been tough to see him play confidently once again. So, you know, absolutely, there's a lot of streaky players on the Wizards, and everyone not everyone, but a lot of people have to be having big nights. Otherwise, there's just no contributions. For the Raptors, you don't really have that issue because so many different younger players are able to bring a lot to the table. So, you know, even if your sixth, seventh, and eighth man have an off night, you know, you still basically don't lose a step in guys 9, 10, 11. So it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be an issue, but I feel like things are going to tilt because the Wizards are playing in desperation mode. Yeah. And every time that happened throughout the course of the regular season... You know, they didn't really rise to the occasion until the stakes got really high. So I I don't know. I'm I, I think it's gonna be a much closer game if not you know, do you expect the Wizards to steal one of these victories or are you kinda leaning towards sweep at this end, at this stage? So I, I still am gonna hold on to Raptors in five, but mm-hmm. like I, I can't deny that it's felt kind of sweepy. And just sort of hearing the way the Wizards have like talked, yeah, it, it, like the yeah. way that, like the Wizards have talked, and like Scott Brooks kind of feels like he's answering the same questions about things that he's kind of doing strangely or things that the Wizards are doing poorly in every media availability he does. And I'm just not sure how many answers or moves he has left to like has left to make. I'm actually writing about this right now. Um, just like I- I'm not sure what the next move is, and if there is something they can do to sort of unlock the series. Like it's not like they have a. Uh, 
it's not like they're the Bucks and have like a Giannis at the five thing they can unlock or like even the Raptors last year against the Bucks in the first round where they were like, all right, we're just going to bench Jonas and start Norman Powell and that changed the complexion of the series entirely. I'm just not sure the Wizards have that move. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like I would, I would expect they'll come out tough. I mean, if the, if the Raptors win on Friday, I, I feel like it'll probably be a sweep. But if, if the Wizards yeah. can take that one, then I'm sure Raptors fans will be nervous because Raptors fans scare easily. And, you know, it'll depend on the manner in which they lose, of course. But um, I'm expecting the Wizards' best punch on Friday uh, for sure. Do you – here's a question for you. What is the Wizards' best five right now? Like, what is the five guys you want on the court for the most number of minutes in the game, if if at all possible? That's a tough question because some guys are great some nights and, and just atrocious the others. <laughs> I think um, a, a good lineup right now in terms of the way that guys are playing would probably be, well, just based on game two, I would say – Wall, Beal, Oubre, Porter, and Mike Scott to close the game. Right. Um, just because Marquis from Morris, you really don't really know what you're going to get, even though he's a bit more physical in terms of his rebounding than Mike Scott. Yeah, I guess that, that lineup would be tough because you'd basically be depending on Porter to get the majority of your rebounds. Um, Oubre is a decent rebounder as well. But I just like the flexibility there in terms of, you know, ability to switch one through four. Um, uh, yeah, no, I. It's you know it's between that or subbing uh, Morris for Porter and just going with I'm sorry Morris for Ubre and then going Wall Beal uh, Porter and then either you know Morris or Mike Scott playing the four and five positions that mm-hmm. that would be my ideal lineup and the trouble you run into is there aren't that many guys who can tr- contribute outside of those six people so that's definitely an issue. Um, so about about the sweep, one thing you need to keep in mind is it was a couple years ago, but the Wizards faced the Bulls in the first round of a playoff series. I mm-hmm. think it was 2013-2014. Yeah. In Chicago, they went behind 0-2 and then came back to win four straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, they eventually lost to the Indiana Pacers, the team with like Paul George, and I think they had either George Hill or Monte Ellis. It was a solid team. They yeah. won a, a ton of games that year um under frank vogel but um yeah i mean i'm just saying like it looks bleak right now but one victory is all it takes to spark this team so you know don't don't rule anything out especially because you said your fan base i don't know about the players and coaches and all that but (laughs) the fan base can get skittish after a single loss so you know they don't they i i think that the wizards have all the tools and the talent in place to make it a more competitive series and win a couple games. Uh, it, it just comes down to fundamentals of defense in my mind because that's kind of what sets the tone for the entire team. So it's been poor communication off of pick and rolls. It hasn't been a lot of guys helping out. Um, there has been some foul trouble. Of course, John Wall complained about all the no calls that he was receiving that he wasn't getting when he was on the offensive end mm-hmm. in game one. But I, I think the defense is what's going to be the deciding factor as it's been throughout the year because the Wizards have a ton of guys who can score in double figures, you know. And throughout this, this series, of course, your Raptors are averaging 122 points a game, but the Wizards weren't far behind. I think it was like 106 points in Game 1, 119 in Game 2. So it's not like they're getting shut down by a stifling defense. Mm-hmm. It's just been that, you know, that they've been satisfied with trading buckets instead of getting stops. Yeah, that's fair. The Ra- I mean, the Raptors. I think again. I I wonder how like locked in they were late in the game, and like you have to be locked in for a playoff game, and it can come back to bite you certainly. And that was an issue they had down the stretch. 
um, in games where they would kind of be ahead of teams or just like against teams that they felt like they could beat. And then they would just like kind of take the foot off the gas on defense for a bit and then win games 130, 125. Um, and, and like, so that's a concern for sure. And the way John Wall played, if there's a concern I have, it, it's Wall finding the form that he found in the second half of game two. Uh, over the course of a full game because he was horrifying he was doing everything he was you know the Raptors were content to give him mid-range shots he was making them after you know he wasn't a particularly good mid-range shooter this season he was uh, getting to the rim and scoring around the basket a lot more effectively than he did than he did in game one got to the line a whole bunch and the Raptors had some issues fouling um, which is always an issue with them especially with like Pascal Siakam and Jakob Pertl and then Bebe Noguera who comes in and they get like five fouls in five minutes because that's what Bebe does um yeah, it, it, if there's a concern, it's definitely John Wall kind of turning it on. And, like, Beal and Wall having a great game in, in concert is going to be tough to deal with. But uh, right. I, I still come back to the just the rest of the guys that are that are around them. I just I, – I don't know, what like, what my answer to, would be to the question I asked you about what the best five is. Because I just – you know what the Wizards could really use is Serge Ibaka. Like, a rim-protecting big man who can who, – who's just, like – because Mike Scott and I think Markeith Morris are kind of too in between to be good rim protectors. Like they they can sp- space you out a bit, but they can't really protect the rim. Whereas Gortat and Hinmi, like they they're they're just they rim protectors. Rebounds. Yeah, they like they're 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 just they're very yeah. traditional centers, um, yeah. as opposed to being able to stretch things out and uh, like they could just like if Jason Smith were just like to just like do a bunch of steroids and become really good for a couple games. Like that would be very handy, I think, for the Wizards. Wizards um, have enough steroid issues as is. <laughs> I think you're just making me bang my head against the wall because the Wizards were so close to landing Al Horford. Yeah. And, that would, know, be, that would be very good for this team. It's like, oh, Jan Mahimni is basically the same thing. Like, we'll be fine. <laughs> no, he has his hands of bricks. He can't shoot outside the paint. He gets in foul trouble just about every game. Jan Mahimni essentially doesn't even start any games and he still doesn't really start any games in Washington so totally different players I wish that you know the Wizards could have just conceded the fact that they weren't going to get Kevin Durant and maybe (laughs) tried to do something a little bit more realistic Um, I feel like I don't know how much a football fan you are but the Redskins would always do the same thing to try and make like home run free agency signings and you know it it would just be guys who are over the hill and it wouldn't quite work out Um, so yeah block shots is a big point of attention because in two games you guys have 15 block shots uh seven in game one and then eight in game two the wizards have combined for six i feel like john wall has most of those unfortunately i've got to double check the stats but yeah it's it's definitely a challenge because you you know as much as wizards twitter and wizards fans want to bash on jan mahimni and marching gortat they do two things really well. They set picks well to get uh, guys open and help the, the offense flow that way, even though they can't quite score as much on their own. And then they do a great job of boxing out. So even if they're not getting the rebound, they might be stopping Serge Ibaka or Jonas Valanciunas, who had, I think, like 13, 14 rebounds in 23 minutes uh, mm. the other game. And, you know, those are very underrated things when you look at a box score if you're just stopping someone else from getting a rebound. But... At the end of the day, it's it's stuff that is appreciated. Um, and, yeah, when, when you have a 55 to 40 rebounding different difference in game two, you're right. Like, you need someone who can have it both ways, who can protect the rim, but also be rangy enough to guard, you know, small forwards or shooting guards for a, a couple of seconds off that shot clock as you switch. So, 
definitely a personnel issue. Blame Ernie Grunfeld for that one. <laughs> uh, I had a podcast earlier with uh, kind of discussing what the ramifications would be. I don't know if I want to bring it up because, you know, the series is far from over, but just what, what would happen if the Wizards lose? Like, how do you change things and improve over the offseason? Because I think since, like, 2010, there was a good article in the Washington Post how the Wizards and Raptors started in, like, the same place. Um, it was the year that the Wizards drafted John Wall. I think you might have gotten, like, DeRozan that year as well or around that time frame. But mm-hmm. you guys have just been building and getting younger and adding pieces and, like, looking towards the future every year. Whereas as the, the Wizards, they, you know, they got their three lottery picks and then the only other draft pick since then was Kelly Oubre, who they traded for. And there's just been way too many dumps of okay, let's win right now because it's all-star break and we're like teetering on the edge of playoff form. We need to pay, make playoffs. We'll just trade away our future and first-round pick for a guy like Boyan Bogdanovich for two, three months. So mm-hmm. lots of personnel issues going on with the Wizards. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I feel like it's... I don't want to make light of any sort of emotional wellness disorders, but I feel like the Wizards are kind of bipolar because, and it makes the fan base bipolar too because they play so well. And you're thinking, okay, Eastern Conference Finals or maybe even beat, knocking off LeBron. But it's either that or this team is bound for the lottery. Like, we can't beat the Phoenix Suns. We can't beat the Brooklyn Nets. It's it's ridiculous. The dis- discrepancy that the Wizards have in terms of playing down to competition and it hasn't really showed yet in this Raptors series, but, you know, they can play with the best teams. They beat the Raptors twice in the regular season. I feel like now that the door is starting to close on them, you're going to see the fight-or-flight mode, and you're going to see the best performance from the Wizards, at least as a biased fan. That's what I'm hoping for. Means yeah, I hope, I'm hoping for a good game tomorrow. Like, it, it, like close so playoff game would be really fun. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think we should probably wrap it there, though. We've gone pretty long. Yeah. Um, do you have any other parting shots before we uh, wrap this thing up? I wish the Wizards would keep their mouths shut, but more so, I, I just... Drake frustrates me so much. I love his music, <laughs> but I, he's such a pest and a menace, and I can't stand him on the sidelines thinking that he's cool with all the players and like talking to them after every single play. It's, it's definitely a sixth-man edge that your team brings there. I will hear no besmirchment of... Is that, is that a word? I don't know. Uh, of, of Aubrey Graham, our, our greatest son. Uh, he's, he's a beautiful person. I hope he's courtside at the Wizards game, um, as I'm sure he can pull those strings. Yeah, no, th- this is fun, man. Uh, make sure you're checking out Lockdown yeah, Wizards, sure. subscribing, rating, reviewing to Lockdown Wizards on iTunes, same with Lockdown Raptors. Um, I'm going to have a piece tomorrow talking about how I don't think the Wizards really have any moves left, uh, so stay tuned for that if you'd like. Noah, do you have anything you need to plug? Thanks so much for this opportunity. It was great to chat with you again, and maybe, you know, after we can chat before Game 5, if there is a Game 5, we'll see what's going on after these next two here in dc um if you don't follow me already uh noah underscore g-o-e-t-z-e-l is where you can find me and aside from the podcast five days a week um locked on wizards is also on dash radio's nothing but net channel every monday tuesday and friday night at 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific time that's all i got thanks again awesome man we'll talk soon Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.